You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Good morning. And thank you, Dave, for that uh, interesting introduction. <laughs> I, I uh, just want us to remember that when somebody's talking about some of the things that you have done, it, it, it's hard to, to, to um, I don't know, what do you want to say, be humble? But we have to remember that it is, is always God who has accomplished these things. And we were just his instruments, okay? Just just remember that. And if you hear me break into foreign tongue <laughs> sometime, you'll just have to remember that some of those words are still rattling around in my brain. And uh, so it's just, I'll try not. I'll try to stay in English, okay? I, I won't even go into Spanish for Ed's benefit. Uh, it's a real privilege to be back here again. It, I was looking at the calendar to see when it was. I spoke last, and it was in, in uh, the last the week before Christmas, so it's been a while. And uh, But I really feel privileged to be able to, to take uh, Jim's place and even Cordell's place since he was sick and wasn't able to come this morning and speak. Uh, maybe you wanted to hear Cordell. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got me instead. I do trust that he's feeling better soon. Last time I spoke, we were looking uh, at the book of Galatians, and we're going to look there again as well. We're going to continue on where I left off. So it's the passage that uh, Dave read this morning, Galatians, uh, and it's only the the next five verses. He read verses 1 through 10. We're just going to actually be covering 5 through 10 this morning. Uh, the first ones, as a, just as just a real short review, was the, the, what we focused on last time were two actually two words. We, I covered how I translated them uh, from English and or actually from the Greek and English into the Manhui language, and these words were grace and peace, which were extremely difficult words for the Manhui people to understand. And so that was what I'm not going to touch on them again. I think that's enough to say that you understand. We all understand what grace and peace are, right? So I don't need to probably go into that, but I'll touch just a little bit later on. The, uh, the title for my message this morning is going to be a question, actually. Are we following another gospel? And for the benefit of the young people that might be taking the word count this morning, uh, Dave forgot to mention it, so I'll just mention it this morning. The word is enamtes uh, enkahite. What's wrong? <laughs> oh, I must have gone into the wrong language here. No, it's the word gospel. That's what the Inamtes and Kai are, the gospel. So the word gospel is what you're looking for if you want to try to find them. Just before we go into anything, let's, let's just have a word of prayer and, and just pray this morning for the Lord give us wisdom. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Thank you that, that it is your word. It's not something that man devised, not something that was cooked up in the in some place, uh, just to fool people, but it is your word that you spoke 
through your Holy Spirit, to men who wrote those words down and it was completely inspired by you and every word is, is, needs to be looked at and remembered that you spoke them. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you too that we could put these words into other languages for other people who don't have that. And, and uh, not that it was something we did, Lord, but it was just you working through us. Thank you so much. Pray that you'll guide us this morning in Jesus' name. Also, Lord, uh, we do pray for Jim and, and Deidre as they're having fun. <laughs> Thank you that they can be there and, and do that. And pray for Cordell, Cornell, too, that you'll just give his body strength to fight this cold he's got. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we can have fun, can't we? <laughs> oh, Let me ask you this morning. Now we're going to get serious, okay? Do you consider others that you know as good Christians? And if so, what would be your basis for determining that, that others are good Christians? Just how would you evaluate someone else as a good person among those that you know? Now, now I realize in God's word that we're not really supposed to do that, are we? We're not supposed to judge other people. But, but just let's say, for suppose this one time it was okay to do so. So you look around at, uh, uh, say, um, Joe, and you say, oh, yeah, Joe's a good Christian because he's kind to his wife and his children, and, and, and Jane is, is, a, is, a, is a godly woman because she's always here every Sunday morning, and uh, she never uh, gossips. And, and Bob is definitely a, a, a Christian because he is always quoting Bible verses, and, and he teaches Sunday school, and, and Mary always talks about God and how she serves him and gives to others in need. So, now really, folk, that's kind of silly, isn't it? Because we can't see their hearts, can we? And that's what's important to God. So what truly makes up a good person, one who is approved, what, what really does make a person good and is approved by God, it really isn't by the things that they do, is it? It it's not, has nothing to do with what we do. And it isn't because they act right, but instead it's based on something else, isn't it? And we're going to get into that. So what about yourself? How, how do you even evaluate your own standing in God's eyes? Is it because you're baptized? Or is it because you read the Bible daily? Or is it because you obey or try to obey most of the commands in the Bible? Or does God see things differently? I think we know the answer to that, don't we? Here's another question. What is it that motivates you to be a good person? Is it because you want to look good in the eyes of others around you, of your friends? Or is it something else? What motivates us? So these are questions that we're going to try to answer. I'm not going to come back to the exact wording of the questions, but I believe you'll see as we go through some of these passages this morning that we will answer them. So let's look, okay? And I'm going to read again. Uh, we've read it already, so I'm just going to read verse 6. This is where we're going to start this morning. It's actually the beginning of the next section. It's more like the body of, of his letter. Verses 1 through 5 were... were uh, uh, the introduction, the salutation, and now we're going to hit right in the, in the body of his letter. So he says, I am amazed. That's as far as we're going to go, okay, right now. I am amazed, he says. That's an interesting way to start a letter. I'm amazed. Other English versions say, I'm astonished, or I marvel, says the King James. I'm shocked, one of the versions even says. I'm disappointed. And Manhui says, Shiweshiti, which basically means I'm shocked. 
Each of these words are trying to translate the Greek verb, which is, let's see if I can pronounce it right, thaumazo, thaumazo or thaumazo or something like that. But what it literally means is to wonder. It's as simple as that. It just means to wonder. It can be used positively or negatively. Uh, the positive one is kind of almost like admiration or wonder or, or almost to the point of reverence. And examples of this, one of them would be uh, Matthew 8.27. You don't need to turn there, but what it's talking about is where the 12 disciples were absolutely amazed that the wind and the sea obeyed Jesus' voice when they were caught out in that storm. That's Matthew uh, 8.27. They were amazed. The same usage, usage is in Luke uh, 7.9 where uh, we read that Jesus marveled. It's, and there they use the word, English word, marvel. Jesus marveled because the centurion had a tremendous amount of faith. He was able to believe that Jesus could just speak the word and his servant would be healed who was miles away. So he marveled. So those are the, the, the positive ones. These are where thamazo is, is used that way in a positive way. But as I said, it's also a possibility to use it in a negative way. And I believe this is what, where Paul, how Paul used it. He said he was shocked or astounded that someone would ever do such a thing. So that's what the word amazed means there in, in the first part of that verse. And we can be fairly certain that this was how Paul used that uh, in this negative because it was like he was astonished. He was disappointed. He could hardly believe that they would do such a thing. So we're going to see what they were doing and why. Why? You know, this is kind of a harsh beginning for a letter because usually in Paul's letters, he begins a little differently. After his salutation of, uh, and his prayer for the, for the believers to, to be grounded in faith and have peace, he usually, there's a couple places, a couple ones I looked up, Philippians 1.3 and 1 Corinthians 1.4, the very beginning, it's right after the salutation. He says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, or I thank God always concerning you. So Paul is encouraging the believers, and he's thanking the Lord for their growth and their, and their, their stand in, in the gospel. But here, in Galatians, he was not encouraging. He was harsh. So let's look at why. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ, I'm so shocked that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. And so in this sentence, we see the depth of Paul's kind of like disappointment or his astonishment. It's almost like there's three levels of it here. And we're going to go one, two, three here. Uh, actually, three reasons why he was so amazed or astonished. And the first reason that he was amazed was that they had so quickly turned away from God. They had so quickly turned away from God. How sad it was that, that it had taken no time at all for this group of believers who Paul had thought were believers or thought he presented the gospel correctly, were turning away and rejecting God and rejecting his truth after they'd been taught. So he was truly concerned and very astonished that they would change their minds so quickly. And I got to thinking about that. You know what? We kind of do that sometimes too. Uh, we go about our. We, we we might read something in the Word of God in the morning if we if we take that time, and then we get about halfway through the day and we've completely forgotten what what was ever said, um, or we didn't understand it at all, or or we just uh, don't didn't apply it to our hearts. And James reminds us of that in in James one twenty two and twenty three. He says this. He says, 
and I'm going to read this from the, the New Living Translation instead of the NASB this morning because it's a little bit more like we would talk today. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, and then you walk away and you quickly forget what you look like. And often we can be fickle, can't we, when it concerns what we've read and what we have forgotten to apply if we haven't really understood it or we haven't applied it. So that's one reason why Paul was disappointed was because they so quickly turned away. Second reason is that he was amazed and disappointed was that they had deserted. It says they had rejected the one who had called them. It says here in this verse, I am amazed you're so quickly deserting him who called you. And in thinking about the context of, of this particular uh, verse and the, and the theme of Paul's message to the Galatian people, I believe he was making sure that they understand that it is truly God who calls us and not something that we can do ourselves. This whole thing is what we cannot do ourselves. It's God who has called us. And, and, and there's other verses that talk about that. One, uh, we find that he repeated it. And a number of other places. One of them was Romans 8, 28, which is very familiar to a lot of people, where it says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God has purposed, and he's called us. Also in 1 Thessalonians 2, 12, we find that Paul was reasoning with the, the Thessalonian believers there, telling them to walk worthy in the manner to which God had called them to. And in this case, he's talking about their sanctification. They were called to be holy and to walk in holiness. And the point is, that is what God does do. He calls us to do that. And also in 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9, he told Timothy this. He said, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, but instead join with him in suffering for the gospel, which is according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. There's that calling again. So this is also a reminder that Paul was making here in the book of Galatians that God had called them, and he's called us, to grace and not to ourselves. This was the second reason that Paul was astounded and disappointed. They were rejecting God who had called them, and they were rejecting the truth. He was wanting to make this point that they, they, couldn't, add, they couldn't add to the gospel by their own efforts. And this is the same God, the one who saves us and calls us. He's the author of the universe, the king of all kings. And it was this God that they were deserting. That's why Paul was astounded. That's the second reason. The third reason, and it's, it's actually very closely related, and uh, it's the fact that he was disappointed because these Galatians had begun to chase after something other than grace, in spite of the fact that, that God had offered them grace, and he called them to walk in it. They were wanting to put themselves back under the curse of the law, or actually under the curse of the law. These were Galatians. These were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. So they hadn't come out of the law. They, they hadn't even heard about the law. So they were actually being encouraged to move under the law. He says here in this verse, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by or into gr the grace of Christ. And I think this was the biggest reason he was astonished, was that they, had, they were abandoning grace. 
And I, I find it interesting here, if we look at this verse, just a, another glance at it, it says, he who called you by the grace of Christ. That seemed a bit odd to me. The grace of Christ rather than the grace of God. Is there a reason for the difference? What, he might, what might Paul have been thinking? Instead of saying the grace of God, which normally he did, in this case he said the grace of Christ. Remember, now I'll go back into that word, that word grace a little bit. Remember when we were, if you were here when I talked about grace and how we translated it for the Manhui people, we called it that which cannot be strived after. In other words, it's a gift. Uh, that's what the Manhui people always saw. It as something that cannot be worked for. It's something we don't deserve, but it's more importantly something we can't make ourselves. We can't do it. And we noted that it's a gift or it's favor without striving on our part. So let me ask you this. Who's, who's ever heard of working for a gift? If somebody wants to give you a gift, you say, oh, okay, let me pay for that. No, we don't say that. We can't buy a free gift, can we? And, and the same with salvation. We can't work to gain the gift of salvation, can we? Neither can we buy it, neither do we deserve it. That's grace. And the fact that Paul mentions here that this grace is from Christ seems to me that he was indicating that this is part of his introduction to the whole idea, the main theme of the letter, that we can do nothing to add to what Christ has already done for us. It's God's grace through what Christ has done because it's through Christ it seems to be the best reason why he said the grace of Christ rather than the grace of God here. And as I mentioned earlier, he was very harsh in expressing his astonishment. It's almost sad, almost sad here, as well as astonishment, that they could do such a thing. And I kind of put it in modern speech here, this, this whole part of this verse. This is what I, I kind of paraphrased it a little bit. And, and when I, I do this, and the reason I, when I study God's word, I try to paraphrase it into the way that it would be understood by actually by children, and the reason is that is because when I translated, I had to make it as simple as possible for the Manhui people. It couldn't be some language that they didn't understand, and it couldn't even be literal word-for-word translation. They would have never understood it at all. But So we tried to make it simple, and I would often paraphrase it into English before I would translate it. This is what, what I come up with. He says, I cannot believe that you would do such a thing as to reject the one who gave you that free gift. That was grace, okay? Don't you understand that Jesus Christ has paid for everything on your behalf and has given you everything you need for life? And yet, it's like you're throwing this gift away. That's, that's a paraphrase. <laughs> so, what did these people traded grace for? What did they traded it for? Let's look at the next, the very last phrase in Paul's sentence here in verse 6. He said, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, for a different gospel. Now, if you've ever looked up the word gospel in the Greek, you know that it means what? Good news. Enomptes aseis, or enomptes enkahe is what we would call it in the Manhui. They like that too. Because it was, it was, the, the word in kahite, by the way, means sweet. And when we say sweet speech or sweet words, it's something that, that is encouraging and, and good. And that's what they would say. So it's good news. And the good news is what? It's that Jesus Christ has, what, what he has done on our behalf. It's, it's that he's finished the work of atonement for our sins by laying down his life for us and rising again from the dead. The good news is that he completely 
paid the price of our sins and he finished forever what the law of God requires. However, for these Galatian people, it apparently wasn't enough. They thought they had to do something. They had begun to follow after a different gospel. And this statement of Paul's using this idea of a different gospel seems almost sarcastic. Almost sarcastic. Because you ask the question, how can trying to win God's approval by our own efforts be any kind of good news at all? I mean, you, how, what would it take? How many good things could you do to finally pay off the debt? doesn't work that way, does it? Trying to gain salvation by, <clears throat> by being accepted on the base of what we could do. It's not good news at all. Remember the question I asked at the beginning? How is a person to be approved of God? Is it really by what he does? Is it because he acts right? Or is it based on something else? Well, we know it's based on how God approves us by not believing a different gospel. If we do base it on that, it is definitely a different gospel. And my, my question is this also. When would we have done enough to satisfy God who's absolutely righteous and just? I've witnessed to people, and sometimes when you, you explain this idea of, of sin and, how, and God's view of it, they come back with, well, well, I thought God was there in heaven, and it's kind of like a scale, a balanced scale, and, and uh, you've, got these, you've got these good things that you do, and you've got these bad things, you know, unacceptable things, and, and if you do enough of the good things, they get heavy, and so they weigh down the bad things, and then God looks at all those good things, and he says, oh, you're accepted. <laughs> Doesn't work, does it? He says, oh, he says, I, I see that you have some sins, but you're basically a good person. Well, we know it doesn't work that way, does it? <clears throat> Could you imagine sitting in a court of law as maybe a juror on a trial, and, and the person being tried has been caught in a robbery using a, a weapon, probably a gun, let's say. And during the course of the, the court procedure, the judge gives the, this perpetrator, this, this guy who did the crime, a chance to speak for himself. And so the man begins telling the judge all the good things he's done. He's, he's uh, been faithful to his wife. He's a good father to his kids. He's given money to charity. He's driven carefully on the highways. And he isn't a drunk and he doesn't swear. And on and on this guy goes. And when he's finished, the judge says, Oh, yeah, I see. I've heard all these good things that you've done and that you are really a good person after all. And, and all these good things, they've just canceled out your crime. You're free to go. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That'd be pretty stupid, wouldn't it? So why, why would people think that the almighty God, the holy righteous judge, the creator of the universe, would ever accept the good things that we do and use them to balance out our debt of sin. It just doesn't work. It isn't possible. If our good deeds could cancel out our sin, then Jesus wouldn't even have had to die, would he? It would have taken care of the problem. So, again, Paul's point here in verse 6 is that he was surprised and disappointed because by their actions they had abandoned God who had given so freely to them this gift of eternal life and begin his work in their hearts by, their, by faith in Jesus Christ. And he was astounded, wasn't he? He was astounded that they had turned to a different gospel, one that he had originally presented to them. I am reminded 
of when we were in with the Manhui in the initial days. We had learned the language uh, pretty good, and, and we had begun to present the gospel, had begun to present. Actually, we went from Genesis all the way up through the life of Christ. And um, we were teaching them many lessons, and we were getting near the end of it. And we actually, we were, uh, had just presented uh, the story of his death and his resurrection. And um, we explained how God had, had given his son to die in order for us to be free from sin. This was the reason he'd, he'd been murdered, was that God had done this. God had given his son up for, for us, for our sin. And then his resurrection proved that he was God and had accomplished this. We actually acted this out in some skits as well as presenting it to him. And when we were finished in presenting the gospel message, it seemed to us that they understood. And, and it resulted in a number of, of, of Manhui people, both women and men, who told us that they were done trusting the, the evil spirits or the, the spirits that they worshipped. They were done trusting those for their power now. And they told us that they were now believing in Jesus, or as, as they would say in Manhui, I'm siding with God or Jesus. That's what the Manhui language says. And our co-workers had done most of the teaching. I had been working with translation, just trying to get some, some things in place. And he, so he'd done the teaching. But because they were so wore out from all the months of teaching and bringing them along, they took a much-needed furlough right at this time after we had this little group of believers. So it became my responsibility then to, to meet regularly with this uh, group of new Christians, so to speak. <laughs> I was to teach them further truths from the small amounts of Scripture that I'd already translated. All we would had so far was some of uh, Acts and some of, of um, uh, and all of Genesis, but we didn't have a whole lot of other, of the gospel actually, other than what we told them. So I was working like mad trying to, to get, caught up and get some, some more scriptures translated. And uh, this was my job then, to take this small group of believers and, and teach them. And our co-workers had written a few songs that were scriptural songs in Manhui for them to sing because they hadn't, all they had was chants. They didn't have any songs. So they asked us to, to make some songs for them. So we wrote some songs, put them to words like uh, Pop Goes the Weasel and uh, Onward Christian Soldiers, some of the real simple tunes and put them in Manhui for them. And, and uh, so I began teaching twice weekly in, in meetings with them. And this included singing these songs, and it included some testimonies and, and some prayer, as well as reading the scriptures that we had translated. But because of my loaded schedule of trying to keep up with the translation, in a very short time I had to back off from twice weekly to once a week. And then it got still heavy, so I backed off to once every other week. And uh, part of the reason for this was because I was trying to keep ahead and translate while I was teaching. And, and I didn't think anything about any possible uh, repercussions for this, but one afternoon a large group of churchgoers came to me and they were quite agitated. They, they told me that they were losing their power as a Christian because they weren't meeting and singing regularly as much. And they said that they wouldn't be accepted by God any longer be, unless they could sing more. So what's that tell you? <laughs> It suddenly uh, hit me that that how, how badly they had misunderstood the message of the gospel. For these people, it had nothing to do with the gospel of, of grace or, or faith or the fact that Jesus Christ had paid the debt for them and they couldn't do anything about it. It was instead on how well they could sing or pray. And this, what this was was actually what we call syn syncretism. It happens a lot in, in tribal peoples. 
actually happens with us as well because we, we, we synchronize our old beliefs with our new beliefs. And this is what was happening. They, they thought that because the power had come from the, the spirits before, power now came from singing and, and reading God's word. In fact, one man told me, he, says, he said, if you take those words that you have and that person that's not good, if you just hit him with them, I, I couldn't believe I'm hearing that. But that's what they said because it was all about doing, doing instead of believing. So anyway, uh, I realized that, that it, they were taking it on the idea that we had to perform and sing and it didn't rest on Christ at all. Well, thankfully, we, we did have the opportunity to reteach these people, and, and they did understand the gospel of grace. It took another year, actually, of, of teaching over and again and everything again. But it, they did understand, and they do to this day say that there's no way we can pay for salvation, no way we can do anything about it. It's only God. But it did remind me how easy it is to think that we possibly can even think that we can gain God's acceptance. Let's go on to verse 7. It says, and it's carrying the, 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 let me just read 6 and 7 together. I'm amazed, he said, you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Which is really not another. And he moves very quickly here in this message to clarify what made their thinking so far off the track. Obviously, their pursuit of a works righteousness could not be called a gospel or good news at all, could it? He says, which is not really another gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you, Paul said. And it obviously bothered Paul quite a bit that there were those who called themselves Christians and they were circulating among the, 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 true, the true brethren or the real brethren masquerading as, as Christians, but their message was disturbing. They were causing dissension. It was disturbing and confusing, as the Greek word means. Uh, it actually means being stirred up, agitated, and that's what they were doing. And that's what the message of works does. For the, for it, it, it always agitates, because there's some that don't understand, but then there's others that think we have to do something, or we have to perform, or we have to look good before others. So there was confusion and deception. And Paul was implying that that's what was going on. Only there are some, he says, who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so he was saying, actually, and I'm going to paraphrase this again. He was saying, my friends, these men are telling you that their way is the gospel, but you should know that there really is only one true gospel message, and what they're telling you is definitely not that. And I want you to be aware that these men are perverting the truth and telling you and turning you away from the message of hope in Christ alone. And this is why it's not a gospel at all, but a perversion. You know what? It is actually sad today that this happens a lot. Many so-called Christian churches uh, where men have begun to add their humanistic flavor or their, their philosophy into the preaching of God's word or they get works involved in it and then it becomes a perversion, doesn't it? As Pastor Jim would call it, it would be heresy. Anytime we try to add something to what we have to do with what God has done, it's a perversion, it's a distortion. And I actually heard a television evangelist here a while back that says, we all basically have good hearts. Don't believe it. And I also heard that another one say, we have to follow our hearts. Kind of dreamy stuff is that, huh? It's, it's distortion, isn't it? It's, it's putting the emphasis on human effort, isn't it? 
And when works are mixed with the gospel, and we're told that there's something that we need to do about it, and it becomes works and a distortion of the scriptures. So it's not really a gospel at all. All our good efforts and our good choices still cannot save us, can they? Remember the illustration I, I gave of that scale. Huh? It doesn't work that way. We don't have basically good hearts. We have evil hearts. As Jeremiah 17, 8 says, who can, uh, it says, the heart is more deceitful than all else, above all else, he says, and who can know it? And it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? So that's why we need the true gospel, the story that Christ has done it all. Let's go on, verses 8 and 9. But even if we, he said, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he's to be accursed. Again, as we've said before, I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed, says verses 8 and 9. Wow, wow, that's, hot. that's heavy. He begins to get very serious, pronouncing a curse on anyone, including himself or an angelic being. They would preach another gospel, a gospel of works instead of grace. He should be accursed, or he should be, God should, should uh, he actually would be cursed. He would be damned to hell. Because, because that's not the gospel, is it? A commentator that uh, I read recently said this, that Paul possibly felt a different gospel would undermine the message of justification by faith and by grace, and would, that this works presentation would actually be as the road that leads to hell. That's pretty strong. So for me, this makes perfect sense why Paul would actually repeat this condemnation here because a message of works does condemn people to hell instead of saving them. And you know, it is sad that in this day and age, there are multiple messages out there being preached. I even found a translation, believe it or not, an English translation that was distorting the whole gospel message I can't remember the name of this, this version, but I looked it up recently. It's a brand new one out, and they're still working on it, so they're selling it piece by piece as they get done with it. But it was, it was just their doctrinal ideas put right into God's Word, and, and it's still a distortion, claiming that they, were, uh, they had new, new uh, light on translation so they could do it this way. But you know what? God's worth is simple. It's true, and it hasn't changed, has it? But, you know, I can also see people more entertain, wanting entertainment in churches rather than wanting God's word. I was in a church a few, a few weeks ago. We couldn't make it up here, and so we went to a local church. And I was amazed at how much emphasis was put on show, on entertainment. I, I actually, I, I had fun. I was entertained. But that's not what church is about, is it? <laughs> the music was, was, I mean, it was like, it was like going to a... To a, a um, a show and watching people perform because that's what they were doing. And we were highly entertained for about 45 minutes. And, and then there was very little time left to preach. So the man just took a couple verses and, and read them and, and kind of tickled people's ears with them a little bit. I came away from that. I was hungry. It just wasn't God's word being preached. That's why I enjoy hearing uh, the gospel and, and hearing messages where we take and, and we look at the, the word of God. And another, another thing, just thinking about this, I have a friend in Paraguay who was, who was uh, very concerned. He was a, a Mennonite guy, and he spoke to me only in Spanish, but he was concerned 
he's very interested in translations, very interested. He helped us actually get the, 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 the Manhui translation printed out. And, and he told me this. He said, he says, I have, I have many friends and family that go to church every Sunday. They're faithful to go to church. He says, but they, they just sit there and listen. They don't even take their Bibles. They sit there and they listen to what the pastor, what the preacher says. And, and you know what? He could be telling them anything, a different gospel, and they would swallow it hook, line, or sinker. And I appreciate his honesty because they are interested in reading the word. They read and they study it together as he and his wife, and they understand it. But it's really scary, isn't it, when people go to church and just listen to what the pastor's saying and, and, and just believe it like that. And, and that even happens in our society today, doesn't it? Whenever someone is not preaching the simple gospel, the gospel that tells us we can do nothing to save ourselves because our hearts are completely sinful, whenever someone tells us, other than the fact that it's only Jesus Christ, that it's purely by the grace of God that we've been saved, and all we have to do is believe it and trust, then this person ought to be cursed by God. Actually, they are cursed because they're, 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 they're not understanding that it's already been done. They're trying to work their way to heaven. And I think that's why Paul said this twice here in this. All right, we have one more verse. We'll go quickly through it. He says, for I am now seeking the favor, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. And why did he ask this question? It's almost like saying, come on, people, think. Do you think that for a minute that I am preaching to, make, to, to gain people's approval? And his point was that if he had been doing this, it would be a works righteousness and he wouldn't be approved of God, and it would be pleasing people instead of Christ. It wouldn't be the true gospel. And he'd be under bondage to those people that he'd be trying to please. And Paul couldn't do that, could he? He couldn't do that. He had to please God and serve Christ by preaching the true gospel, the message that we are saved by grace through faith. We know that his message sometimes was offensive, wasn't it? It was offensive to legalists who were trying to get people to, 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 to do things to be saved. They were men-pleasers, and they were trying to convince the Galatian Christians that this was how they needed to act. They needed to be follow the laws. They needed to be circumcised. They needed to do all these other things. They needed to add something to the gospel to conform. And so here's, here's my final thought. Do we ever ask ourselves who we are trying to please? Sometimes I think we do. We try to please people. If we're trying to gain the approval of men around us by conforming to the idea that we are accepted by God through our good deeds then how could we be serving Christ? It doesn't work. Our whole focus and efforts would be on taking, uh, trying to, to, to please people, trying to please others. And this would block the efforts of being obedient to Christ. And that's what Paul says in that verse. So ask yourself, do I sometimes work so hard at trying to please someone rather than Christ? Am I trying to, to hard to, to look good to other people, trying to gain their approval? Is this possibly my motive even for going to church or reading my Bible? Is it to just make myself look good? If this is the case, we need to confess it because it's the wrong motive. It's sin and it's selfish because we've become mean pleasers. And I, and I know that it's interesting. Even translating God's word, I found myself getting caught up in this myself. I started to think, man, people are going to look at me and, and they're going to think, wow, he's really smart or he's really a godly guy because he's working on God's word. Well, that right there is a, the wrong motive, isn't it? And I, I catch myself. And I think we all, if we admit it, we do catch ourselves when I was thinking, I'm doing this so that I can get his approval. And that's not right, but that's what these guys were doing. 
And that's why Paul said that. We need to remember at all times that Jesus has set us free from being men-pleasers. He set us free from the bondage of sin. He set us free from self-effort because of his grace in order to serve only him. And I'm going to close with a verse. It's a good verse. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this. He says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, or in other words, not of your own self-efforts. It's the gift of God, isn't it? Not the result of works, so that no one should boast. So let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you that we can look at your word and we can realize that it isn't about anything we can do, Lord. And I pray that we'll always remember that, that, that even our motives sometimes are impure. We just remember that it's, it's only you. It's only you, Lord. Thank you so much for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.